I'm so honored to be here with you guys tonight. I will tell you that I am up here with much fear and trembling because the Lord has already been moving in a mighty way in this place. I tell you, every time I come here, there's something new. There's something different. There's an excitement. There's a buzz in the air. And over the last two weeks, you guys have encountered God's holy word through my brother, Pastor Jay, and then also Pastor Trent was here last week and did a phenomenal job setting up the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to quickly remind you of what you guys have already experienced if you've been here over the last couple of weeks. And if you're new, I'm going to catch you up to speed so we can get ready for this talk tonight. Amen? Amen. The first week, Pastor Jay introduced this, this series to us, and he talked about the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and it's better described as the disciples' prayer because the Lord was teaching the disciples how to pray. Jesus was a master at praying. And I'm just telling you, if you're going to watch anybody do anything masterfully, look at the master. His name is Jesus. And so Pastor Jay talked about the first part of the prayer, and he talked about how God is our Father. He is a he is a God who has a family and all the believers who have placed their lives and their hope and their trust and their faith in the finished accomplished work of Jesus Christ through his death, burial and resurrection and received it by faith. The grace of God. We have the privilege of calling him our father. And what I love about that phrase is that I can be a black man and call him my father and you can be brown and call him your father and you can be Caucasian and call him your father and it doesn't matter because we're all brothers from another mother. I'm just saying we're all part of the same family. He is our father. Somebody say he's our father. Come on, say it with confidence. I mean, I don't want no mamby, pamby Christians. Y'all can say that for your mama. Uh, tell me that he's our father. He's our father. That's good news tonight. And then Pastor Trent came last week, and he talked about the kingdom of God. He said, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Pastor Trent told us that we need to pursue Christ-likeness. We need to prioritize evangelism and we need to plant ourselves in church. I pray that you have accepted and received that challenge and you're looking for an immediate way to apply that in your daily life. Today, I have the privilege of talking about one of the first things that Jesus told us to request of God. And this is what he said. Give us today. Somebody say today. today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month, not next year, not in the next lifetime, but he said, give us today, in this moment, today, ahora, he said, give us today our daily bread. I want to spend some time unpacking that for you because it seems so simple. It's like, okay, Jesus, just give me something to eat. Thank you. I need to live, right? Well, I believe there's so much more to unpack. And I'm going to try to be brief, but every time I say that I fail miserably. Uh, but I do have a countdown timer there, so that'll help me tonight, all right? Robert Law saw, said this. He said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. He's setting the priority for us. He's saying, it's not about what you want done. But it's about what God wants to do on the earth and the fact that he's using your life to leverage his will on this earth is the priority of prayer. 
You see, there was a song that came back out when I was in college. I'm not going to tell you what year because you're going to think I'm really old and I am. But Christina Aguilera came out with a song called Genie in a Bottle. Anybody ever heard that song? She said, if you want to be with me. What's she saying? Yeah. She said, if you want to be with me, I can make your dreams come true. I'm a genie in a bottle. You got to rub me the right way. Well, God is not a genie in a bottle. You can't rub. Up God the right way and get what you want out of him. God has a kingdom. He is the king of his kingdom and he has a purpose and a plan and a will that he wants to execute here on the earth. And we just can't cozy up to God and like, God, let me rub you the right way and maybe you'll give me what I want. God's like, get away from me. I don't like that. I don't need that. You're being really weird right now. And so God is saying, I have an agenda. But will you be a part of it? And today, I want to help us to connect with God's agenda. I've got a couple of points today that I want to share with you. And then I want to ask you a question and we'll wrap it up. Okay. First point, when you look at the text, Jesus is literally telling us it's okay to have expectations of God. I'm going to say that one more time. It's okay for you and for me to have expectations of God. I have been married going on 20 years on August the 30th, August the 30th. It was Labor Day. I remember that like no other. And it was a Saturday that we got married, me and my bride, almost 20 years. And what I've learned in my marriage is that my wife has expectations of me. She expects that her house is protected by my presence. She expects that I treat her like the child of God that she is. She expects that I love her in the ways that she needs to be loved, not the ways that I think she needs to be loved. There's a big difference. She expects that with our children, I'm going to be the man and the father that God has designed me to be to pour in to my family. There are some expectations my wife has of me. There are some expectations that I have of her as well. When I come home from a hard day's at work, I want my wife to greet me. You want to know why? Because she's on my mind all day long. The first thing when I get home is I just want to see my wife. I just want her to look like she's happy that I'm home and say, hey, baby, it's so good to see you. That's an expectation that I have. I also have an expectation that the food is cooking in the house and it smells like there's food on the stove or food from Publix or food from McDonald's or food from wherever because I don't cook. I don't know how to cook. And so I expect that she cooks for me. If she cooks for me, she expects me to clean the dishes. I think that's a fair trait. So there are some expectations because we are in this love relationship with one another that we have reasonably put upon one another. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you're in a love relationship with the Heavenly Father, there are some expectations that you can place on God. And he's okay with it. And he also has expectations of us. So it's a two-way street as we are in this love relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so Jesus says, I just want you to know that the expectation that you can put on God is an expectation that he will meet your daily needs. He will provide for you. Why? Because he is a good father. 
And that is a reasonable expectation. Somebody say reasonable. It's reasonable to expect that God provides for your daily needs. Look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. I want to drop this on you. He says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the reason why it's okay to expect for God to provide for your daily needs is because He already knows what you're in need of. And he just wants you to ask him. Sometimes with our children, we know what they need. We know what they have and what they don't have. And sometimes we just want them to build up the courage and come to us and ask us for what they need. My son, my middle child, he's the worst at it. He will let things go on for days. His, this need that he has that he should have asked us for, he will just let it go on for days and days and days. And then finally we get tired. I'm like, hey, son, uh, you know, I noticed uh, you didn't have this. Uh, you know, do you need it? Well, well, well yeah, dad, I was, I was going to ask you. Like when? When Jesus comes back? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there waiting for you to ask. And, 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 I, and sometimes I just have to say to him, son, I'm your father. I'm your dad. I love providing for you. Just tell me what you need. And it's not that I don't know. I'm just trying to develop this thing in him that says, when I have a need, I should let someone know. And God's the same way. He's like, when you have a need, I'm not ignorant of it. I know what you're in need of before you ever ask me for it. Sometimes I just want you to ask. And why? Because when you ask, you're engaging in conversation with him. And sometimes God just enjoys the conversation. More than the need that you have. He just wants to spend some one-on-one time with you. The reason why my wife and I are about to celebrate 20 years is because we just enjoy spending time together. If you want a relationship to go strong, I'm just helping you out if you're interested in dating or getting married one day. If you want your relationship to last, enjoy each other's company. Like the person that you're with. Talk to them because they want to talk with you. And if you're with somebody that doesn't want to talk to you, doesn't enjoy the company, none of that kind of stuff, maybe you need to reconsider your relationship. I don't care how fine they are. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care if they're going to be the future CEO of Enron, which is a dead corporation, which should have never been. If they're not invested, Reconsider it. But the deal with God is he's always invested. God always cares. He's always interested. He's waiting to hear our voices. Sometimes my son will call me, FaceTime, my oldest, and he's in Texas. And my granddaughter will be on a screen and her face comes up. And I'm like, and she looks at me and she says, pops. And I'm like, that's my baby. And I love just to hear that little bitty, small, itty bitty voice. It reminds me of my baby girl when she was that young. And I just love to hear her voice and it makes my heart turn flips. And sometimes we miss the blessing of blessing God by allowing him to hear our voices. 
Did you know that when you cry out to God, when you just spend time with him, when you talk to him, he, his heart gets big like a father. And it's, oh, my gosh, I love you so much. I love the sound of your voice. If I could hear it all day, it wouldn't be enough. God wants to engage with you. The question is, is do you want to engage with him? Or do you just treat him like a genie in a bottle and you rub him when you need him and you put his lamp back on the shelf when you don't? How do you treat your God? So he says, he knows what you need before you ask him. You know, Dr. Tony Evans said this. He said, one of many, one of the primary mechanisms that God has established to determine much of what he does on earth and in your life and my life is conditioned by the absence or presence of prayer. I'm going to read that one more time just to break it down for you college students. Y'all ready? Here we go. One of the primary mechanisms that God has established to determine much of what he does on earth and in your life and my life is conditioned by the absence or the presence of prayer. You see, there are some things that God has determined that he's going to do just because he's sovereign. Sovereign means God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, however he wants, and you can't change anything about it. You can't stop him. He's an immovable object. He's a force that you cannot reckon with. He is unmatched. He is unrivaled. He is powerful. He is all powerful, and you cannot stand in his way. There's that part of his will. That's the unconditional will of God, but there's a conditioned will of God where God chooses to act through you and me. What are some examples of the unconditional will of God? Well, God can do whatever he wants. So every morning we see something rise up in the sky. What do we call that? The sun. That happens whether or not you agree with God. It happens whether or not you think the sun comes up too early because you want more sleep. God does what he wants to do. and does not take counsel with any of us about what he wants to do. That's his will and it's his prerogative to do that. But then there are some things in life that God is like, I'm going to attach my will to your prayer request. I'm going to attach my will to you engaging with me and you making requests of me and I will move because you have connected to my will and you connecting to my will un will unleash what you have requested. But the key is, it's not that God is going to give us anything like a genie in a bottle. It's that we have to understand his will. And how do we understand the will of God? We get in his word. And we learn about what matters to God. What are his priorities? What does he expect from us? What does he want from our lives? I don't have expectations on my bride that I would have on my mother. Those are two totally different people. I don't expect my daughter to fulfill the role of my bride. They are two totally different people. The expectation matches the individual and the expectations that we can place on God are huge because we serve a big God. So if it's OK to have expectations of God, then what does that mean for us? That means God delights in meeting our needs. I'm going to set somebody free today because maybe you're like my son. I don't want to inconvenience you. 
I know what I need costs money and, and I know you don't have very much of it and I don't want to spend what you don't have. And you come up, come up with all these excuses as to why you don't ask for what you need. But God delights in meeting our needs. This is why Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, this is what he says. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's, here's a key. And most of us will just fly right over this. God's like, if I give you the Holy Spirit, you'll virtually have everything you need. There are going to be some things outside of that that you're going to need for daily provision. But if you have the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a Christ follower, you have what you need to live the life that Jesus died for. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. You have faithfulness. You have gentleness. You have kindness. You have self-control. You have all of these things because the Holy Spirit brings them with him. The Holy Spirit never takes up residence and brings an empty hand to the table. He always comes with gifts. And those gifts are available for you and me to partake in. And so we have the fruit of the spirit that's always available to us. Pastor Z, are you telling me that if somebody gets in your face and you get really angry and you just want to knock them out, that, that you can control yourself? Yes, I can. Do I often? Probably not. But I do have the ability to control myself because the Holy Spirit of God brings them to me. And this is the mark of a good father who has given us his very presence to live on the inside so that we're never alone. This is why Jesus can say in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, for all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He can make that declaration, that promise to us because the Father has given us such a precious gift in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he says that he delights in meeting our needs. In Psalm 23, I love this psalm because it beautifully paints how God cares for us. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. The job of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep. If he's the shepherd, then I must be the... Oh, that's a logical deduction. Thank you. Y'all are very bright. I appreciate that. Yes. If he's the shepherd, then I'm the sheep. And I don't worry about my wants and needs because he takes care of everything that I need. Watch this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art 
with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? How long? One more again for the Holy Spirit. We're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what are we afraid of when it comes to approaching God? If we are going to dwell in this house forever and he is literally taking care of us up until that point, what are we worried about? Why are we afraid to make our requests known unto God? Are you dealing with anxiety as a college student? Maybe you've got exams coming up. Maybe you don't know what career you're going to go into. Maybe you're trying to figure life out. And God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what classes to take. I don't know where to live. I don't know who to date. I don't know if I even should ever date. I don't know, Lord. I don't know nothing. I remember when I was your age, I used to ask people the question all the time. How do you know when you have met the one? Have you ever asked that question? How do you know? I, some of y'all, y'all like, yeah, please tell me. I'm just waiting for the answer. Like, God, please. If there's anything I get out of this sermon, it's going to be that. <laughs> All right. So how do you know if you've met the one? You know what the answer is? I've heard this a million times. You just know. Now, when people used to tell me that, I'm like, I just know what? And they'd be like, you just know. Okay, maybe I'm speaking in Swahili, and I need an interpreter. Holy Spirit, help me. Give me the gift of tongues. I don't know. Give me something. How do I know? You just know. And one day, my wife was at an award ceremony. I was getting awards for. I was there with my girlfriend at the time. Exactly. I was there with my girlfriend at the time. And my wife walks across the front, and that's what I said. Oh my God. Whoo, whoo. Lord Jesus. <laughs> wow. Now that's a woman. And I, I, I kid you not. After award ceremony, I went up to her and said, hey, thank you so much for my awards today. Oh, you're welcome. Da, da, da. She just kept on working. Didn't even give me a second of attention. And so I went home that night and I got ready for bed in my apartment and I kneeled down on the side of the bed and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive your servant. I'm so sorry. I have a girlfriend, but I want that one. <laughs> Lord, I know it's wrong, and forgive me, Lord, but if you could help a brother out, I sure would appreciate it. In Jesus' name, I made my request known to God that night. And the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of heaven, the one who made that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman, and made me too, connected our paths, and we became friends. Then we became best friends. And then we became boyfriend and girlfriend. You know how we got into a relationship? We got in a fight. 
We were each other's best friends. And we were standing by the elevators. We were at Texas A&M University for a conference. And we're standing by the elevators now. And I'm mad at her because this whole weekend, there were girl after girl after girl coming after me. And she just seemed to be in the way all the time. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm not bad at this, but if you're going to keep being in the way, let's do something about this. And so I was playing dominoes with the guys, and she didn't want to hang out with us, and so she decided she was going to go hang out and do her own thing. And so we played dominoes for about two and a half, three hours. And then finally I come out, and I call this, hey, where you at? And she's like, oh, I'm I'm just down the hall. I said, well, meet me by the elevators. So she comes by the elevator and said, hey, what have you been up to? I don't know much. I was just on the phone with my ex-boyfriend. I said, devil is a lie. What'd you say? I was on the phone with my ex-boyfriend. I said, now, wait a minute. All right. So let's, let's get something clear. Are we doing this or are we not doing this? Well, what do you mean? I said, you know doggone well what I mean. Are we doing this or are we not doing this? Are we together or are we not together? I'm tired of playing this game. I, you tell me what you want or tell me you don't want me, but we're going to figure this thing out right now. Are we together? And she was like, yeah. And then we kissed, and I just knew that that was my bride. And so I go back to Texas Tech, and I tell the girls in my past, na 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 na, na 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 na, hey hey hey, you daggone Skippy, I sure did. And here's the thing: when I ask God for his provision for my life in regards to a wife. He let me know who she was. And when she said she wanted to date me, I told her not too long after that, I said, you know we're going to get married, right? She said, well, I'll tell you what. You got two years to ask me to marry you. After that, forget about it. And she, she, you, if you meet my wife, she's a real deal. She don't play around. She don't play the fiddle or the kazoo. <laughs> and so within that two-year time frame, I counted down on my calendar and got her a ring, and we got married, and the Lord has blessed us. But God knew what I needed. And if you've ever met her, she is perfectly designed for me. She was not made for another man. She was made for this guy. She knew I was wily. She knew I was cray-cray. And she knew she had to kind of just kind of grab a hold of me. I'm like a kite in the air on a windy day, and she's holding the string, you know? And she's like, I got you because you're going to fly out into the atmosphere. And God met my unmet needs through my bride. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Let me help you understand the context of why God delights in meeting our needs. In Exodus chapter 16, we see that the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, and the armies of Egypt were drowned in the Red Sea. And they are in the wilderness. They're walking through the wilderness. The people are getting hungry, and they're murmuring, and they're complaining against God to Moses. And they're like, man, we had food in Egypt. We had meat by the meat pots, and now we're out here in the wilderness. We're going to starve to death. Oh, my gosh. Why would you bring it? It would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt. And you're like, you idiot. You were a slave in Egypt. Why would you want to? You're stupid. 
But we act like that sometimes, don't we? We complain about things we shouldn't complain about. And we want to go back to our own Egypts when God has delivered us out of Egypt and he wants to bring us into his promised land. But it goes on to say that God says, they've got a need to eat. I'm going to meet that need. And this is what he does. He says, I am going to send them food daily. I'm going to allow manna to fall from heaven. And a manna falls from heaven and God gives him instruction. He says, just take enough for the day. Don't take more than what you need. Promise you, you will be full to your content. Heart's delight. Just take enough for the day. And of course, they're hard headed and they try to take more than enough for the day. And the next day they wake up and it's spoiled. And God keeps sending down manna from heaven. And he says, for, for five days, I want you just to take enough for the day. And on the sixth day, I want you to take enough for two days. And you're going to take enough for two days because on the Sabbath, I don't want you working. I don't even want you to leave the house. Just stay in the house. Consider that a day as a holy day that is set apart for me. And he said, that manna will last you for two days. Get two days worth. And here comes the Sabbath day. And there are people leaving the house and they're looking for manna. And they can't find any anywhere. Because God had already told them, I am going to provide for you. And here's the key about daily bread. God wants to provide your daily bread. God wants to be your provision. The, there used to be an old school song that said, while you're trying to figure it out, the Lord's already worked it out. God wants to be your provision. And the Israelites kept getting themselves in trouble because they didn't trust God's provision. They didn't take God at his word and they just kept disobeying God. And yet God is faithful. And even in their disobedience, he continues to provide their daily bread. And so when we look at this, Jesus is saying, give us today our daily bread. God, there's an expectation of you that you will continue to be our provider in the best position you can find yourself as a believer in Christ, is to be fully submitted to God's authority and allow him to be your provider. I love the song, Jireh. Y'all know that song? That's such a good song. When they say, Jireh, you are enough. And what does he say? And I will be content in every circumstance. You are Jireh. You are enough. And he literally is Jireh, our provider. But do you trust Jireh? Do you trust the God who provides? Now, before you think that all I'm talking about is just literal food provision, let me help you understand what I'm talking about here. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, the devil is tempting Jesus. As he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus hasn't eaten anything. He's fasting and he's praying. And Satan comes to him. This is what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Somebody say, feed this boy. 
And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, okay, so you double dog, triple dog daring me, right? Okay. He said, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. Watch this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of. Oh, my goodness. So he said, don't get it twisted, Satan. Yeah, I'm hungry, but there's another type of bread that I consume, that I live by, that nourishes my soul, and that bread is the Word of God. So not only is God going to provide for our physical needs, but He's also going to provide for our spiritual need. Has anybody ever taken the Lord's Supper? Communion, the Eucharist, whatever you call it, all right? Anybody taken it? Okay. When they give you the wafer or the loaf of bread that you break off, it said, this is my body broken for you. Eat ye of it in remembrance of me. And Jesus literally went to the cross and allowed his body to be sacrificed. And the blood came pouring down mixed with water. And it appeased the Father as the full wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus stood there in our place so we didn't have to suffer the full wrath of God. And he took our punishment for our sins. And he became the living bread of the world. He died for you and me. And I'm so thankful that God didn't require me to go to a cross. He didn't require you to go to the cross. But he said, I've got a one and done. And his name is Jesus. And he said, so I'm going to give you the bread of life. I'm going to give you my one and only begotten son so that you can live. He provided in the most extreme way our most important need to be met through the death, burial, and the resurrection of his one and only son. So here's the question. What blocks us from having our needs met by God? In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not what? Ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on what? Your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Four quick things that hinder our prayers with God from having our means net. Oftentimes, it's our passions that do not come from the Lord, but they come from our flesh. The second one is our desires, our cravings that we that we have that stand in the way of God blessing us. Number three, we want what someone else has. We covet. It's not like, God, I'm content with how you're blessing me and with how you're using me. I want to be used like brother so-and-so. I want to be like sister so-and-so. I, you're, not, you're not doing enough in my life right now. Why are they getting ahead and I'm stuck back here? No, God's like, worry about your own self. 
You got enough to deal with than to be worried about somebody else. And number four, we simply don't ask. And God is saying, just ask. I've got daily provision for you. You know what I love about God? He's so good that even when I don't ask, he provides it. Even when I'm bashful and or ignorant or hard-headed or sinful and I don't feel like God wants to hear from me, God still provides because he's a good father. And he wants to be the God who provides for you. Are you like the nation of Israel? Where you just kind of turn a deaf ear to God and don't allow him to speak in your life? Are you looking for direction? Are you searching for answers? Are you trying to figure out life? Are you trying to see which way to go? What about your career? What about your family? What about your friends? What about your direction? Are you seeking answers for that? Can I give you a helpful hint? The best source that you can go to is God himself. Why? Because he's eternal. He's seen the end from the beginning. He exists outside of time. And he looks down on the affairs of man. And God is not a transcendent God who is disconnected. No, God is connected in every way to his children. The question is, is will you talk to your God? I'm so thankful that Pastor Jay decided to do this series. Because if there's anything we need more of in this day and age and on this campus is we need more prayer. We need more prayer. And we need to be asking God to provide, not just for you, but for this campus. My heart breaks over what's going on in this generation. My heart breaks over what's being taught in your classrooms, what's being debated on your campus. My heart breaks. I cry out to God for that. And I believe that the answer to my prayers is sitting right here in this room. But will you allow God to use you? Don't let your lifestyle or your sins block what God is trying to do in your life. Let him use you for his glory.